Welcome to Of Slippers and Spindles. I'm Cassie. And I'm Drew. This is a podcast all about fairy tales and fairy tale retellings. Each month we choose a different tale and discuss books, movies, and other media based on that story. This month we are talking about the 12 Dancing Princesses, and today's episode is about House of Salt and Sorrows by Aaron A. Craig. We would like to thank our patron Olivia for sponsoring this episode. Thank you, Olivia. Yay, thank you, Olivia. We're so excited to have patrons. Like, I still am kind of boggled sometimes. I know. By the fact that, like, not only do people want to listen to us nerd out about fairy tales, (laughs) but, like, they're paying us to do it. (laughs) They're supporting us. And we just had our second book club meeting. And it just, like, filled my heart with so much joy to, like, talk about books especially books that are about fairy tales with other people. I just, I'm having so much fun. Yeah. And if you'd like to be part of our next book club, you can also support us on Patreon. And then you get to be part of our book club. Yes. And we have a good time. We do have a good time. Or at least I had a good time. I did too. (laughs) And I hope everybody who was there had a good time. Yeah, yeah. So today, I'm just going to launch us right into House of Salt and Sorrows because I am really excited to talk to you about this book. I am anticipating your response to this book because I had a very strong response to this book and I imagine you will have as well. So let me first just throw out our spoiler warning. We are not a spoiler-free podcast. This book is full of stuff. There is a lot of stuff. So if you would like to experience this book spoiler-free, you probably want to do that before you listen to this episode. And There was something else I was going to add on to that, but I forgot. So yeah, Cassie, what did you think of House of Salt and Sorrows? Well, Drew, I did not love this book. I did not love this book either. I am so sorry to anybody who did, but um, this was something. You know what? I honestly think that this book suffered from trying to be a 12 Dancing Princesses retelling. I think if they had removed that element from it, this would have been such a stronger novel. This is my first note. This is exactly what I wrote. I wrote, is this 12 Dancing Princesses? I think it wants to be 12 Dancing Princesses. But honestly, I think the story would be stronger if you removed the 12 Dancing Princess element. That's exactly the sentence I wrote. I either needed more or way less. Or... I, I think you, if you had just taken the 12 Dancing Princesses of it all out, I think the story would have been much stronger. Yeah, that was... But yeah. that's not that's not even remotely my biggest issue with this story. But that is so interesting. It is so wild to me that you and I, we do not discuss this stuff as much as possible before we get on the recording. And it is wild to me that like the first thing that you bring up so often is also the very first thing in my notes. Listen, when we're in sync, we're in sync, man. Yes, yes. And then sometimes we come across a princess of the midnight ball and we're not in sync, but that's okay. And we're not in sync. And one of us is right and one of us is incorrect, but that's that's fine. <laughs> How dare you? But no, let my if you are if you are a Patreon and you have access to our notes, um, I've got skimpy notes this time. I have one page, and it does say oh, that's at the so very, funny. I have a billion notes. It says at the very top of it, it's like apologies in advance if these notes are sparse. T minus six hours to recording, so I am cutting it very oh. close. So basically, I had time to get the book read through. today. I did not have time to take copious notes as I was reading. 
I think that's fair. And that's what happens when we take three weeks off so that I can tech my show and then we have to record like four episodes in one week. <laughs> yeah, it happens sometimes. It happens sometimes. Um, so something that I think was really interesting in my r- research about this book, I looked up a couple interviews with Aaron A. Craig because I was like, I-, I just need to know what was what was going on here. This whole thing started as a retelling of, oh, actually, do you know what it started as a retelling of? It, uh, other than 12 it Dancing feels- Princesses? It feels very little mermaidy. Of course it does. Yes, the the whole kingdom by the because ocean of and the all that. Whole, the ocean type deal. It's not little mermaid. Let's come back to this piece of trivia. Okay. Let's come back. All right, we'll circle because back. Because we have started all of our 12 dancing princess episodes by discussing the names of the sisters. So let's start there and then go back to this trivia I because thought, it's linked. I thought we had a thing going. Uh-huh. Because we are introduced to our narrator, Annalie, and then we're introduced to her four sisters who have died, and their names are Ava, Octavia, Elizabeth, and Eulalie. And I was like, okay, so we're all starting with vowels. But then the rest of the sisters are Camille, Rosalie, Legia, Lenore, Honor, Mercy, and Verity. So there is no thing. There is a thing. Is there a thing? Because there's not an obvious yes. thing. It is not obvious, and it is not entirely consistent, but the names are nods to Edgar Allan Poe. I did catch the Poe nods, but they're not super consistent, and they're not super obvious. They are not. Because, like, it's... They're not consistent. They're not obvious. When I got to Lenore, I was like, Edgar Allan Poe, and then I was like, no, because it's Anna Lee, which I guess could be Annabelle Lee. In her kingdom by the sea. Well, there you go. The whole thing started as a retelling of Annabelle Lee. And she said that the 12 Dancing Princesses was the final piece of the puzzle that made her bring the whole story together and give it a plot. Which... Was it, though? Again, I feel like the 12 Dancing Princesses of it all is just is the weakest part. But Poe has poems called To Octavia, Elizabeth, Eulalie... Camille is a character in The Murders in the Rue Morgue. Annalie is Annabelle Lee. Poe had a sister named Rosalie. He had a story called Legea. Lenore is from The Raven. Morella is from a short story, I think also called Morella. Uh, that's their stepmother. Um, they needed to steer way harder into that if that's what they were going to do. Yeah, I feel like I needed a little all or nothing here. Yes, because like... I didn't catch an obvious thing with the names, and I found myself missing it. Like, I recognize that it's it's more true to life because, you know, most kids, was, as they get named by their parents, they're not, like, theming a child's, you know, range of names. Generally speaking, some parents do. My parents didn't. My brothers and I don't. My siblings and I are all Ds. My whole family, we are all Ds. So uh, we are very themed. But I do have... Uh, one of my aunts and uncles, they have 10 children, and there's there's not a theme there. I mean, I sit here saying that married to a man who he and his brothers, their names all start with CHA. So my husband is Chase, and his brothers oh. are Chad and Charlie. I bet they get called the wrong name every single day. They, they became C1, C2, and C3. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but for two generations now in his family, the kids have all had the initial C-A-G. All of his his dad and 
all of his siblings and then Chase and both of his brothers. Um, they were really excited when I married in because my maiden name also started with a G. And they oh, were like, yeah. what does your middle name start with? And I'm like, it's it's not an A, it's an M. Yeah, but, but you you were so close. I was very close. But I I don't know. For for something like the Twelve Dancing Princesses, if you're like retelling a story, we've talked about this before, like name with purpose and intent. And so I, I wanted there to be more of an obvious thing. Why so let me ask this. Why mm-hmm. were we okay with there not being a theme in the girls at the Kingfisher Club, but we're not so okay with this like havesy theme that you only can pick up if you're like really looking for it. Well, I think we weren't a hundred percent okay. Like we talked about it in Kingfisher yeah, Club. Right. <laughs> like we wanted, we wanted all of the names to be like vaguely masculine, like that that right. would have yes. been a better option to go with. But for me, I think it's because the name still felt themed. Because it was historical fiction. And so the names sure. were all slightly odd names in terms of modern day naming. Old, old fashioned. They're yeah, old fashioned because yeah, yeah. they were period appropriate. So for me, it still felt like there was, was a theme running through the naming. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I see. I don't know. I just missed it. I just missed it. And I wanted it to be there. Yeah. I know. I remembered the other thing I was going to say when I was giving the spoiler warning, which was that this is a very big book. It reads very easily. I think it reads very quickly, but there is a lot of plot. And so I say this, I think every time we come across a big book, that there is no way we're going to be able to cover every detail of this book. There is a lot. We're going to hit probably the highlights of the story, but... Well, and I don't really want to hit... Stuff happens. I don't want to hit all the points because not a lot of it is actually the fairy tale. I want to talk about the way that the fairy tale is tied into this story. First of all, I think that Aaron Craig is cheating a little bit because while there are 12 dancing princesses at the top of the story, four of them have died. So... Okay. (laughs) She's really only working with eight for most of the story. I, I didn't mind this because we'd still got a sense of what each of the four sisters who are not in the story were like. Mm -hmm. So I think if like we just said four of them had passed away and we moved on, I would feel like it's cheating. But they are very like much a present part of the story still. So even though they don't go to the balls and dance with the other sisters and it's really only eight dancing princesses, I I didn't mind it personally. I didn't mind it either. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is how you got around our criteria of yeah. like having to characterize 12 is by taking it down to eight. But the the fact that these four sisters have died within the span of like four years um, has led the people to believe that this family, the Thomases, are cursed. Right. And so the mother died six years ago, giving birth to the youngest And then Ava, I think these four who died were the four eldest. Yes, they were. Was my understanding. Ava died from plague. Octavia died falling off a ladder in the library. Um, Elizabeth presumably was suicide. And then Eulalie fell off of a cliff. It is very frustrating to me that the first three ultimately are just coincidence. Cassie is nodding with a furious face right now for everyone who can't see her. Oh my gosh. I was so mad about that at the end. Like it's kind of 
Elizabeth is left ambiguous. Her her suicide is left ambiguous as to whether or not that was just coincidence or if she was driven mad by this like goddess of madness that they end up fighting at the end of the story. But the first two were just kind of like, nope, they just died. It was very frustrating. And I'm like, I think I think I would have been okay with one. Sure. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first one who died from plague. I did to, to be to be honest, I did not get the sense that Elizabeth's suicide was related to the goddess of nightmares and all that, which I have a lot to say about her, but I did not get that sense at all. So I felt very much that all three of these were entirely a coincidence, which, what? Yeah, which to me, it's like, no, because I'm I'm all for, well, child mortality is a thing. Like, it happened in big families. You would have that many kids because a lot of them wouldn't survive out of childhood. But these ones who were dying were all adults. Like, they'd all reached adulthood. Mm-hmm. And so... That's not even really part of the question. And so this whole thing about like, we're not cursed, blah, 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 blah. Well, I mean, listen. No, it was very frustrating for me that those deaths did not ultimately tie into the plot of the story, that it was only Eulalie's death that ended up being directly caused by this goddess and this curse and this plot. I will also say um, about the world building of this story that I needed it to be way clearer, way sooner that the gods are real to the point of like walking amongst humans and having kids with them. Yes, I agree. I got there eventually, but it took me way too long to understand that like they actually interact with these people. Yeah. So we, there's a character Cassius. We'll talk about him a little bit, but like at at about honestly, like the, the 60% of the way through the bookmark, you find out that he's a demigod that his mother is a goddess. And I was like, oh, is that what we're doing in this world? The world building around the the gods was so heavy handed. Like I had to learn about a new god and a new part of their mythology in every chapter. It, it just kept coming back. And yet there are two gods that are integral to what is actually happening in the story. They are the two that are behind everything. And we don't even have a sense of their existence. Their names do not come up or anything until like there are 40 pages left in this 400 page book. They could not have been mentioned at any other point to set up who they are and the possibility that they could be involved in all of this until the reveal that they both exist and are behind all of it. I lost yeah. my mind no, that was, when we met them. That was really frustrating. I was also frustrated when um, they opened the magic portal door in the grotto that could take them anywhere else in the kingdom and nobody batted an eye at it. They were just like, oh, okay, cool. This is real. And I'm like, at no point has this narrative set up the idea that magic is that concrete. Right. And like they didn't, they nobody had even a hesitation about using this. They were just like, oh, there's a magic door in the grotto. Cool. I couldn't handle the fact that they all decide, let's go look for this magic door. And the first place they look, they find the hidden magic door of the gods. The first place they go, immediately they find it. 
Well, that, once you find out the twist at the end with Fisher, makes sense. Okay, so he, but he's not the one that leads them there. It's Legea, I think, who's like, I think I know where it is and takes him off. But you're saying that wherever they went, he would have wherever the they went, there. he was going to be. Okay, able to I find accept it. that it's, answer. It, I accept that. That was my understanding. So because my note, but there I did not, I did was, not get that from the, the story. My note, as soon as I read that, was I am intrigued, suspicious, and concerned in equal measure by Fisher's involvement in these magic balls. Yes. So the fact that this this um male character this old friend of Annalise he's a lighthouse tender he comes back and the fact that he is with them when they first open the door to go to the magic dancing and he goes to the first magic ball with them as soon as I read that I was like something's going on there because that is an addition to this typical kind of narrative of this fairy tale uh, right. We we don't usually have the male figure who is set up as a potential love interest being aware. I did not suspect Fisher until Fisher started accusing Cassius. As soon as he was like, I think it's Cassius. I was like, okay, there's still 200 pages left in this book. There's no way that we are, you know, suspecting Cassius and having him as the culprit at this point. And so I was like, so mm-hmm. I now I think it's Fisher because he's intentionally trying to throw off Anna Lee. Yeah, I knew I had a feeling something was going to go on with that character when he was there at the ball. I wrote, calling it on page 317, that was never actually Fisher. Oh, good call. And then page 330, ha, bingo, I got it. I figured it out. (laughs) Right before, right before the twist. Right before. But as soon as we got to the thing where it's like the lighthouse light went out, I was like, that's not Fisher. That's never been Fisher. (laughs) But it was also Fisher is dead. Fisher has been dead. Yes. Yeah. He'd been dead. In terms of the story of the 12 dancing princesses within this tale, within this novel, they attend these balls. But I was very frustrated that we only saw one ball. Yeah. I thought it was interesting to start so long before they go to the balls because the actual fairy tale itself doesn't start until almost halfway through the book. But spoiler alert, it also ends about 30 pages later because they start going to these balls. They wear out the shoes. They're having this big festival. Their father gets drunk and starts talking to all the other men about the shoes. They propose the contest from the fairy tale. I'm all on board. And then the contest never happens. It doesn't go anywhere. Nope. they completely drop nope. that plot line, except for one guy keeps snooping around the house, and that doesn't go anywhere either. The Evor, he he yeah. he's snooping around, but for no reason. I just don't understand why Twelve Dancing Princesses is part of this larger story. Yeah, it was so it was so inconsequential to the actual plot. So like, it was interesting to have the inclusion of a stepmother because we don't usually see that with this story. So the father remarried, she's pregnant, she announces that she's pregnant at the funeral for this daughter who just died, which is like... Super messed up. And then the father is like, we're going to end mourning because we've been in mourning too long, we've been in mourning for six years, and it's time to be done with it. And Annalie is upset about that. But she 
But to make her father happy, she agrees to, like, get a new wardrobe. And then there's a cobbler there and he's like, oh, I can make these beautiful fairy shoes. You can dance all night. You know, they'll never show wear. And I was like, okay, that's where we're going. We're getting the the shoes in there. They talk about how expensive they are. And I'm like, okay. And then when they find the door in the grotto and they start going to this this midnight dance and they start wearing out their shoes, but Annalie refuses to go after the first night. So her shoes don't get worn out. And then the father starts, you know, drunkenly talking about it and proposing this contest. And I'm sitting there going, I am so frustrated by everybody's characterization changing to suit whatever she needs in the moment. Mm. So you have Annalie who is upset about ending mourning like a week after her sister died, who doesn't want new clothes, who doesn't want new shoes. And who's really concerned with the modesty of her new gowns as well, like she feels like it's showing too much skin, to then have absolutely no hesitation to go to this first ball in a very low-cut backless dress. Mm. She's as swept up in it as everybody else, even though she has been – we've been told that she doesn't like parties and she doesn't like to be around strangers, but she goes to this dance through this magical door with absolutely no hesitation. We have the father getting drunk and getting mean and nasty and violent. And we've never seen any of that from him before that moment. But instead of treating it like, oh, this is something unusual, maybe something's going on, which would have been foreshadowing for what's actually going on in the story. We're just told out of nowhere, oh, yes, sometimes he gets like that. Yes, I noticed and that it would too. Have it would have worked so much better to show us these little moments where this goddess of nightmares and madness is influencing what's happening if those moments had happened and we'd been drawn to notice them by the narration as being unusual or as being out of place. Well, I will say that we learn later that he like struck Morella at one point before they were married. So I think this is not necessarily the goddess influencing him i think it is meant to be like this genuine part of who he is i just don't think that it's it's not sprinkled through the rest of the story in a consistent way like those are the yeah. only two moments otherwise he he's portrayed very kind which you know people are like that people have two sides to them they have a side that comes out but we need to convey that and i, I if that's going to be the case then i need to see that i or i need to see some fear from Annalie, like when she's trying to say things to her father, like I need part of her conflict to be like, will this be what sets him off into one of his moods to establish that it is a problem? I also feel that this was something that happened often throughout the novel. I wish I had written down other examples, but it's it's that thing where father gets angry and then we say, oh yeah, sometimes father gets angry. I feel like that happened a lot where it's like this thing happens and it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, this is something that happens. Whereas the way you should construct a novel is that like earlier in the story, we should mention the fact that sometimes father gets angry. And then when father gets angry, we understand and that is like more connected and more cohesive. Yeah. So this character Cassius that we talk about. Annalie becomes convinced that Eulalie did not die by accident, that it was not an accident, that she was murdered. And she f- snoops in her room a little bit and she finds out that, An- that 
Eulalie had a secret sweetheart that she was running away to meet the night that she died. And in talking to this secret sweetheart, she eventually gets like the confirmation that he also saw somebody with her on the cliff that pushed her. And so while Annalie is in the marketplace trying to like figure that out early on in the novel, she runs into this guy, Cassius, who shows up looking for his father because his father is ill and he's here to take care of him. And there's this like instant spark between the two of them. Very. That was. Very young adult novel. Like it's very. Very young Very adult YA, novel. which is fine. But mm-hmm. it's it's a little heavy handed. A little bit. Yeah. And she keeps running into him. She keeps running into him. And she can't get anybody to listen to her. Everybody is is intent on believing that this was just an accident. It was a tragic accident, but it was just an accident. And nobody will believe her that something else might be going on. But the youngest princess, Verity, talks constantly about seeing the ghosts of the four dead sisters. Right. And once she mentions it, she makes drawings of, like, their dead bodies and it's creepy and once she mentions it to Annalie, Annalie also starts to see the ghosts. Ultimately, these ghosts are not ghosts. Like, again, I am so frustrated by the fact that all of this is disconnected. Like we said, all of those deaths are separate. These ghosts are not actually ghosts. Like, nothing is working together within the story. I would be interested to reread the story to see if the reveal at the end of the explanation holds up at all as to what has happened. And yet, there is nothing that could get me to open that book again. What I think would have been interesting, what could have been interesting with this story, is if the ghosts or the spirits or like some incarnation of those sisters were was at this dance that they were going to. Yes. And like that that was part of the reason the sisters kept wanting to go back and didn't want to tell anybody was they were going back because that's where they were getting to see their sisters again. That would have been so cool. I love that. Even if we then, yeah, eventually got the reveal of they're not real. They're just the creation of this goddess of nightmares. Yeah, that would have been really cool. Annalie falls in love with Cassius and then Fisher is all jealous. And starts accusing Cassius of being the one who's behind this all and can't be trusted. And it turns out Annalie's been being drugged by Fisher, which I only saw evidence of the one time. I was so confused by that. Yeah. And eventually we find out. So like there, we kind of go back to the story a little bit in that she agrees. Annalie agrees to go to a dance again. She hasn't been going for a long time. Um, But she agrees to go to a dance again to let Cassius try and figure out what's happening and what's going on. Um, Because this is after two more of the sisters die. Two more of the sisters die. And Annalie tells Cassius, but you were at the first ball. And he's like, I was not. And she goes, but you were. And that's when he starts to realize something, something hinky's going on. And so he's going to follow them to the grotto. He's going to disguise himself using his like magical mom powers and follow them and i'm like okay so here we're kind of getting back to the story again we have the the kind of soldier character who's following them Mm -hmm. and then we find out that they have never physically gone through any doorway 
to a magical dance. They've all just been dancing alone in their rooms, caught up in this like weird nightmare vision. I will say I like this idea. Yes. I like this idea that they never went. They're all dancing in their rooms. I like this concept. How did they never go anywhere? So they never even went to the grotto where I was frustrated that it was the first place that they went and found found the thing. That that scene never really happened. Or maybe they went to the grotto, but going through the door was all a vision and imaginary. And that first ball just took place like there in the grotto. But yeah, like, uh, I don't know. It was not clear and it was not consistent. And yeah, I needed an explanation of like, like maybe they went through the portal and the portal just took them back to their rooms. Okay. That would work for me. Yeah. But there is no explanation of like, I needed logistics. <laughs> right. I, I felt like there was the start of some really interesting world building, but it wasn't taken far enough to actually stand up to any attempt to to pick it apart no but cassius reveals that this is the situation with the girls fisher is gone he's not there and that's actually when i started to be like maybe fisher was never real and then they find out that the lighthouse has gone out so cassius and annalee go to the lighthouse and they find out there that fisher is dead and that's where they meet this goddess whose name i don't remember anymore uh yeah, it's starts with a K. It's super long. Cosamaris. Cosamaris, who's the goddess of nightmares, the harbinger of madness and nightmares, harbinger yeah. of madness and nightmares, and she reveals that she's been given the girls and the lives of the girls since Eulalie, not the first three, just since Eulalie, as payment for a bargain that somebody made with the trickster god. And they have a suspicion who it is. They think it's this old friend of their father's, Sterling. And when I, I read that, I, I was like, I, I, well, I read that and I was like, that it better not be. It better not I, be this character who we met once 8,000 pages ago and has not been an important player. If if he's actually was, the villain, I'm going to be so mad. I was so mad. I was so he's mad. He's not. I was like, he's not. That uh, was a red I thought, I thought this was, I honestly bought into like the fact that this was the reveal. And I was so mad because I was like, she came up with this theory out of nowhere. Yeah. We met Sterling once and he was so inconsequential in this scene that I didn't even make a note about him. I was yeah. so mad because Sterling was engaged to their father's twin sister and so he was set to become the duke and then when the sister died he lost everything so they think okay maybe this is his act of revenge but we had no setup for that at any point prior to this moment and i was like there is no way this is how this story ends thank god it 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 is not how it ends but i'm glad you and i have the same reaction i was furious oh i was gonna be so mad no it's the stepmother which yes makes sense i guess but the stepmother morella made a deal with the trickster to win the father because she'd fallen in love with him but he didn't love her back yes and it's a whole complicated weird subplot thing (laughs) and she made a bargain to win his love and have a son but he's a trickster so but he's a trickster so he the her son is stillborn yeah. And and then she gives birth to a second cuz she's been pregnant with twins the whole time. So she gives birth mm-hmm. to this the human son who is born stillborn and then she also gives birth to 
like the trickster's son. But that then goes nowhere. He's like born. That goes and- nowhere. And it turns out that, that the stepmother killed Eulalie because she was afraid that Eulalie recognized her as the midwife from Verity's birth. And so then that wasn't even connected to the like weird magic. And that made me mad. So to go through the deaths, the first three deaths of the sisters are genuine coincidences. They they died in order, first, second, third, eldest, second born, third born. Then the fourth the fourth person, the fourth sister dies via Morella. Morella kills her. And then the other two sisters that died, who were two of three triplets, they were killed by Kosamaris. So all of the deaths are unrelated to each other. Yeah. Six of these 12 sisters die. Yeah. Completely by, by coincidence. Like, I, I just... Uh, yeah. It, it was not a satisfying explanation to what's been going on. It wasn't. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more when we get to our wrap-up episode, because... Some of the things that she was doing are similar to things that I did when I retold this story Ooh, in my version. Well, first, the three little girls who are called the Graces, Honor, Mercy, and Verity. That is my thing with my princesses. All of them are named after virtues. As soon as I saw those three names, I was like, "Ooh, Cassie's going to be mad. I am going to be mad. I have an Honor. I have a Mercy. Mercy's not one of the girls. She's the aunt. And I don't have a Verity, but I have a Verity in a connected story to this world. Um, so it's like I've used all three of those names. <laughs> but this the scene that I did think was really well done was... Oh, good. I was going to ask you, what's something you like about this story? Let's, let's give something we like. Yeah, when Annalie and Cassius go back from the lighthouse to try and warn everybody that Kosamaris is behind all of this and the trickster god is behind all this and they need to figure out what's going on. And she gets back there and she has to be like, Fisher is dead and all this kind of stuff. And the scene where like all of her family have been given these false memories and she starts to think that maybe she's mad, gone mad because then Cassius also disappears. Like, Stop. You liked the scene? I thought the scene was interesting. Like that scene gave me a hint of what she could have done because – as Annalie was starting to doubt what was real and what wasn't real, I was also sitting there reading, starting to doubt what was real and what wasn't real. I was too, in fairness. Okay, I was too. But I I was mad because I was like, wait, if if this whole thing was like an unreliable narrator thing where Annalie killed all of them. Actually, you know what? I think I would have liked that better than what we did get. I take it back. If Annalie was but that scene frustrated me because I was like, are you kidding me? This Was this whole book just like a vision? I When when I had that moment of like, has Cassius never been real? I was like, oh my God, I'm yeah. going to lose it. I'm going to lose well, it. Well, because you know, I hate, I hate dreams in stories. Uh-huh. So I was like, if this whole thing is fake, I, 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 I will never get over it. Yeah. But I think I would have liked that better than what, than what we did get here so so yeah while all that's going down that's when morella gives birth and then there's a storm and then the house catches on fire and then a ton of people die and that's when cassius and verity come back because everybody's been made to forget them but cassius rescues verity and then cassius dies 
And then for we get all a, of a page for all of a page, because then we get an epilogue where because his mother was the goddess of the stars and of wishes. And yes. so we get an epilogue that's like six months later where Annalie is now tending the lighthouse, which apparently was her lifelong dream. I don't get that. It's not an exciting life. And she's got she's got the youngest three girls with her and they're doing this like they're doing this like wishing ceremony where they send lanterns into the sky and they wish for what they want. And then like Cassius appears out of the surf and he's like, your wish was the second loudest in the sky. So I was able to come back and it was super cheesy and gross. And she says, but whose wish was the loudest? And of course he says, mine. Mine. And that is the end of this book. Yeah, I didn't love this one. I I wanted to like it so badly. I I try try to come on here and be positive, rah, rah, rah. But I could not. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. No, if it... If it had just been this mystery of, like, what is happening to the girls in this family, you know, that are dying one by one, that are cursed, and the whole book had been about solving that mystery, I think I would have liked it better if they had taken out the Twelve Dancing Princesses element entirely. I agree. We really only see them go to two of the balls. We have the contest mentioned, but it doesn't go anywhere. And that's about it. Like, that's... That's all that's there. So I don't understand. I mean, like, is this even a 12 Dancing Princesses retelling? I think barely. Barely. I just felt like the novel was constantly being pulled in two directions. It was getting yanked towards 12 Dancing Princesses, and then it was getting yanked towards the supernatural murder mystery. And they didn't mesh together the way that she wanted them to. Yeah, I agree. Shall we talk about Criteria? Let's talk about Criteria. Yes. So... Number one is to characterize the sisters, define their motivations. We have 12 of them. We need to be able to tell them apart. Again, we kind of cheat on this one because there's really only eight. So, But I I do feel like she did a good job with this. Yeah. What's interesting is that I feel like she cheated in a different way. So I feel like the four that are dead are pretty well defined, even though the fact that they're dead. But she cheated by putting triplets together and then... Like, they are always a connected unit. Yeah. And then she also connected the last three. Honor, Mercy, and Verity, they are referred to as the Graces. So, like, I felt like she cheated by having the four dead ones, not a cheat. Then you have Camille and Annalie, who are pretty well-defined. And then she had, like, two groups of three, which Verity... Yeah. She's very much her own character. She's very defined as well. But, um... It's funny that you felt like she cheated by taking out the four, because I felt she cheated by lumping together the last six. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing with the dead sisters. I feel like Eulalie is well-defined. I don't feel like any of the oldest three are. Well, I don't know anything Octavia about Octavia was a reader. Elizabeth Ava, was morose. Elizabeth was sad. <laughs> like, Ava, Ava you know, I couldn't pretty. tell you anything about Ava. Octavia was a klutz and Elizabeth was sad. Like, that's all I know about those three. It's still, it's something. (laughs) What could you tell me about honor that does not apply to mercy? That's valid. Um, But, but I think she did a better job of this than other people that I've seen. Sure. I would give her the check mark for this. I'm going to, I'm going to give her the point with it. Yeah. Yeah. Our second criteria is to explore the concept of the dance. So 
from the fairy tale. Why is there a door in their bedroom? Why are they dancing every night? How does the world of the dance impact the world above, etc.? I do like the twist that they were never actually going anywhere, that they were just I agree. dancing alone in their rooms. I like the twist. I just don't think it is explained well. It's not explained well. But the that actual twist of they're not going anywhere, they're literally trapped in a dream. I like that. Yeah, the idea itself, great. We love that. Yeah. I like that. I like that the only real dancer that they're seeing is this trickster god. Yes. Who who shows up to dance with them in the dreams. So I feel like, why is there a door? I feel like that is answered. Why are they dancing? Answered as well. How does the world of the dance impact the world above? This is where I think we are losing the point. I think she does attempt to answer that question. She does attempt to say that these things are impacting each other. But I don't see how they're impacting each other. I don't see how the dancing is actually impacting what's happening with everything else in the story. Yeah, because I don't think it does. I think she wants it to impact what's going on, but I don't think it actually does. I agree. I agree with that. Our third criteria is to explain the other character's motivation. So let's go through our additional characters. We have the soldier. Here I think is Cassius. Yeah. Pretty well explained. But I think he's also barely the soldier. He he is. He's the soldier purely because he's the love interest. I don't know that he right. meets really any of the other criteria. In terms of being a soldier. Yeah, like he doesn't do anything. He doesn't like solve the mystery for the father or anything like that. He does kind of solve the mystery because he is the one who well, yes. finds that they're just dancing in their rooms. But um, not as part of the contest. And so I don't think it's like contest. quite the same thing. Yeah. Speaking of the father, the king is our second character to explain. He was not well written to me. <laughs> uh, like, There's an attempt, but... It's not set up well. It's not, and I don't mind the characterization of him as the father of these 12 girls. I don't even mind this idea that like he sometimes gets violent. I wish that had been set up in advance, but people are like that. I get that. But in terms of him being the king from the story, the only time that applies is in the one scene where he gets drunk and comes up with this contest. And again, that doesn't go anywhere. It happens in that one scene. One other character continues to snoop about it. And sometimes Cassius mentions it, but it's not developed any further than that. So he's not really the king from the story other than the fact that he is their father. Yep. Third character is the woman in the woods. She's not here. The closest you could get, and it's a stretch, no. is no. the goddess of the stars, because she's the one yeah. who gives Cassius oh. his powers. Oh, that's interesting. I thought you were going to say Kosomaris. Okay. Oh, no. I actually kind of buy that, but we don't meet her at all. So We don't. No. I did think it was interesting that at one point, Kosomaris makes Verity and Cassius invisible. It has nothing to do with the dance at all. But I was like, oh, there is another little link here with the invisibility thing. Yeah. 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 And then our final character to explain are the mystery princes of the underworld. They were all just dreams. I guess that is the trickster god. Yeah. I mean, technically he is explained, but it's not until he is relevant in the very last final moments of the book. That 
Yeah, what you just said is my biggest problem with this whole novel. It wasn't explained until it was relevant. Yes, me too. Because that happened all the time. That is the the ultimate issue. It was like, oh, right, you need to know this thing. Yes. But it was kind of like listening to my middle schoolers try and summarize the novels that they're writing. (laughs) <laughs> where they'll get like partway into them like, oh, wait, there's this thing I forgot to tell you that you need to know it's important. Yes, yes. Yes, the way you write a story is the opposite. You put the lead up to why something's going to be important needs to happen first. And then when the thing happens, you understand it. Mm-hmm. In general, in general, there are exceptions, of course. Yeah. Final thoughts? So, yeah, that was House of Salt and Sorrows. I'm not going to be looking to add it to my bookshelf. Yeah, I'm sorry to anybody who loves this book. This was not the book for us. No. What's interesting is that I looked on Instagram at the tags for the three books that we are reading this month. And so if you look at the tag, you know, hashtag Princess of the Midnight Ball, there are 241 posts on Instagram. If you look at hashtag... The girls at the Fisher uh, at the Kingfisher Club, 111. I checked out Wildwood Dancing, 665. Even though we didn't cover that, House of Salt and Sorrows has 11.2 thousand posts on Instagram. This book was big when it came out. I remember that as a as a teen librarian. Like this book got a lot of buzz yeah. when it was first published. I think it's easily like the best known Twelve Dancing Princesses retelling. Which is a shame because it's not. Other than maybe next week's retelling, which is Barbie in the 12 Dancing Princesses. I can't wait. Can I tell you? I'm so excited. Can I tell you? This is going to be my first Barbie movie. (gasps) Ever? Oh my gosh. Ever. I'm sure I've seen some, but I can't remember any of them. Yeah. I was not really a Barbie kid growing up. Like I had a few, but I wasn't like a Barbie kid. And I think most of the Barbie movies came out like after my childhood oh, and I yeah. would have watched them. Yeah. I would probably say keep your expectations super low because then you can only be yeah, no absolutely you can only be delighted from there. But I know a lot of people love it and I'm excited to watch it, especially after, you know, how dark this one was. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Well, we are so glad that you are here listening to our podcast. Kudos to you for making it through another episode. If you like the things we talk about and would like to touch base with us, we'd love to get to know you too. We have several places where you can reach out. We have a Facebook page where we love to chat with you about both the episodes and also just whatever fun fairy tale things we care to share in the uh, Facebook page. It's always kind of interesting when I see it. We've got a new post because I never know exactly what it's going to be about. <laughs> it could be from anything. Yeah. And, and it's our, fun. I love that. Yeah. Our Instagram is a fun place to see behind the scenes stuff uh, that drew posts and great visuals and images. And you can also always email us and you can find us all over the internet at of slippers and spindles by searching that on social media. Our email is of slippers and spindles at gmail.com. And of course, we would love to have you become a patron of the podcast through our Patreon and support us that way financially if you are able. Yes, you can see all of the Patreon perks at patreon.com slash of slippers and spindles. Thank you again to Olivia for sponsoring this episode. I just want to say I would really love to hear from people about their opinions on this book. Mm -hmm. So whether you're in the Facebook page or you want to send us an email, 
I would love to hear what people think, whether you're on board with us and our criticisms of the book, or whether you really love this book and you're like, Drew and Cassie are wrong. Here are all the ways this book is super cool. I would, I would love to hear your opinions. Cassie's nodding along. I know she would love to hear from you as well. If you would like to support us and you're not able to do so through Patreon, you can do that for free by making sure you are subscribed to the podcast, telling a friend about the podcast. That's the number one way that people find us. And also leaving a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week. Bye, friends. Bye.